Welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And welcome back to Season 2. We just had a, a very long, week-long hiatus between Season 1 and Season 2, and we're both very well-rested. What, what did you do, anything, over, over the hiatus, George? Anything exciting? Mm, nope, nothing. Nothing at all. Really? No, nothing exciting happening? No, nothing, nothing comes to mind whatsoever? Nope. Not a thing. Nothing? You really you really can't think of one thing? Nope. Alright, well, yeah, me either. Anyway, so, for those of you out in uh, California, I'll be out at Disneyland in a couple of weeks. Uh, January 27th through February 3rd, I'll be out there promoting uh, It's Kind of a Cute Story. Uh, Rolly and I are doing a couple signings, so if you're around, you know, go to our Facebook page and let me know, or go to the Rolly Crump Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Rolly Crump, or it's kind of a cute story.com to check out where the signings are, because I would love to see you there. George, you going to go? Wait a minute. Now, Disneyland, that's the West Coast Walt Disney World, right? Yeah, it, um, it, it came after Walt Disney World. Yeah. I'm just kidding, guys. We're going to get a lot of hate mail for that. You, <laughs> you know that, right? that one. <laughs> We're going to get like a thousand messages from people going, what do you mean? <laughs> It'll sound that's, just like... That's not where it came from first. Who brought Chris Harbuck on from The Nerdist? Was that a Chris... It did sound like a Chris Harbuck It did thing. sound just like him. Wow. Sorry for taking your impression, Chris Hardwick. Why wow, don't we, we just, just do the history now? We just blew our season two budget with that. Wow. Sorry, guys. It's time for Disney History. The Matterhorn Bobsleds, or simply known as the Matterhorn, is an attraction composed of two intertwining steel roller coasters which opened in 1959 at Disneyland. It was modeled after the Matterhorn, which is an actual mountain in the Switch Alps, for those of you who don't know. Uh, it was also the first tubular steel continuous track roller coaster ever constructed, and it's located on the border between Tomorrowland and Fantasyland, and it employs forced perspective to seem bigger on the outside. Huh? Bigger on the outside? You see what I did there? I switched it up. Anyway, so throughout the day, climbers dressed in Swiss uh, climbing mountain garb can be seen scaling to the peak. Wow, not me. Uh, during the construction of the park, dirt from the excavation of Sleeping Beauty's castle's moat was piled in an area between Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. And when the park opened, the area was dubbed Holiday Hill and later um, <clears throat> Lookout Mountain. It was uh, improvised with benches and pathways to encourage its use as, a, as an actual picnic area. I mean, weird. So after the opening of the Disneyland Skyway in 1956, Walt Disney conceived the idea of a toboggan ride on the mountain with uh, real snow, but the logistics of it caused objections by Disneyland construction chief Joe Fowler, who normally didn't object to much. But by now, instead of picnicking, the hill had become... Uh, had come to be used primarily as nighttime lover's lane. Ooh uh, la la. Yeah, much to Disney's dismay, I guess people were taking the cars from the Autopia. 
over there. <laughs> well, anyway, the uh, the new wild mouse-style roller coasters got the attention of Disneyland executives, and they began to consider applying this new technology to the creation of a toboggan-themed coaster ride on an artificial mountain at the site. The structure would also act as like a decorative overlay to camouflage the central pylon of the Skyway. Now, use of the Matterhorn both in style and name grew from Disney's extended vacation in Switzerland while filming the film Third Man on the Mountain, which is awesome. If you guys haven't seen it, you should probably check it out. Uh, He was impressed by the real beauty of the real Matterhorn and merged the toboggan ride concept with the thoughts of a bobsled coaster ride that would run around and throughout the structure. Now, if you read Bob Gurr's book, Design Just for Fun, you know that he created the two intertwining tracks by sitting down and just drawing them over and over again until they made sense using the laws of physics and their their downward motion to keep them uh, going. The rod was built by uh, Arrow Development and Wed Imagineering, and it was the first tubular steel roller coaster in the world, like I said earlier. Uh, it consisted of wood and steel infrastructure, and it was surrounded by uh, man-made rock, and it opened on June 14, 1959 as part of the new Tomorrowland. Yep, and trees could be seen on its side, and by making the trees at the higher altitude smaller, the Imagineers used forced perspective, we hear that a lot, to augment the mountain's height. Waterfalls cascaded down its side and uh, frequently sprayed riders, you know, it wasn't too bad. And inside was a large open space where the bobsleds traveled. And the peak had numerous holes in its exterior through which the bobsleds exited and re-entered the mountain. The Skyway passed through the center of the mountain via a pair of holes on the Fantasyland and Tomorrowland sides, and Skyway riders could see down into the Matterhorn's interior as they glided through. In the early 1970s, the ride was officially made part of uh, Fantasyland, and then in 1978, it received a major refurbishment. Uh, The Imagineers' biggest task was to break up the hollow interior space into a number of small icy caves and tunnels with a far more convincing theming. So... Some of the holes in the mountain's skin were filled in as well. Um, another major addition during this refurbishment was the Abominable Snowman, affectionately named Harold <laughs> by the Imagineers. Now, the creature exists as three similar audio-animatronic figures that roar at the bobsledders. The first is visible from both tracks at the point where they divide to take separate paths, and then the other two are visible only from their uh, respective tracks. Each track also features a pair of uh, red eyes that glow in the dark shortly after the, the lift hill while a uh, roar is heard in the background, so he kind of makes his presence known throughout the entire ride. Mm-hmm. Um, the roars can also be heard from the ground level as well, and it's kind of freaky at night when you're walking past and you hear it, and you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, what the heck? <laughs> and the bobsleds themselves, uh, they were changed from their original flat luge-like multicolored two seats to a rounder white cars decorated with orange and red stripes. Um, they changed from single car to two cars connected to one another to form a train to get more uh, riders on at the same time. And it was actually the same cars that were done in Space Mountain at Walt Disney World. Yes, yes, they were. Yep. So following the closure of the Skyway in 1994, sad I remember seeing it, they used a lot of stucco to fill those holes. A lot of, uh, well anyway, the holes through which the Skyway buckets had traveled were partially filled in. And the holes in the Tomorrowland face remained mostly intact, and a grotto filled with glimmering crystals was installed nearby. There was an abandoned crate labeled Wells Expedition, which was added as a tribute to Frank Wells, who had died earlier that year. The Matterhorn went under a major refurbishment again in 2012. Uh, aside from a massive paint job, the vehicles were changed to single-seaters instead of lap seating. Uh, the Matterhorn implies a only one uh, lift hill. 
and the bobs bobsleds ascend parallel to each other at the start of the ride, and they climbing past walls featuring uh, snow-like effects. I think they're animated now. I don't, I'm not but it, 100%. But, but it's not Snope, right? Uh, it's not Snope, Good. but it's also not real, so you still I can't eat it. Is. Okay. <laughs> Regardless, um, the top of the, the lift hill constitutes the highest point of the ride itself, even though the mountain itself it continues upward for another couple of uh, stories. The rest of the ride is actually unpowered, and you just use gravity to uh, wind your way around the Matterhorn's many caverns and passageways. The splashdown pools at the end of the track serve dual purposes. Uh, not only do they cool off the braking fins mounted on the underside of the bobsleds, but the impact into the water itself acts as a braking mechanism. And because of their constant exposure to water, the fiberglass bodies are regularly waxed. Hey. Oh yeah. Um, so also for, for many, many years, a basketball half-court existed inside the structure above the coaster uh, near the top of the mountain where the mountain climbers would play in between their climbs. Now, because internal access to the mountain was locked down for safety reasons, the court was accessible only to the climbers for a very long time. Uh, the, the court was re relocated slightly during the installation of the, uh, the Tinkerbell flying equipment uh, prior to the 50th anniversary uh, celebration, um, but the hoop and the playing area do remain intact. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Walt Disney Animation Studios, the Archive Series, Walt Disney's Nine Old Men, the Flip Books. And this is another book with an incredibly long time. I was going to say, it took an awful long time to say that. And this, this one is the fifth book uh, in the Archive Series after story animation design and layout and background, which are these gorgeous, gigantic books that they've released over the past couple of years that showcase a lot of the Disney art, and now they've released the smallest books in the world. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the whole series, the archive series, is really pretty expensive, and it's very artistically driven. I've reviewed a lot of the other titles in the series at Imagine Earning, and I've loved them, but they're really geared more towards the animation and animation as art fan. Uh, the idea behind the series was championed by John Lasseter. Hopefully you guys know who he is. He said uh, that he spent hours in the animation research library looking through drawings for inspiration and technique, and he felt like the art needed to be shared with the world. Like, hey, why not? Well, thanks, John. Exactly. Um, the book was originally supposed to come out in October, but saw delays. Pete Docter championed the project, and as the title says, this book is a look at Disney's nine old men or more like their artwork, not them. The Nine Old it, Men... It's a pin-up book of the Nine Old Men? <laughs> pin-up flip book. You get to watch the Nine Old Men walk by. Um, <laughs> as, as everybody in the world knows, the Nine Old Men were some of the studio's greatest and most famous artists from the classic age, usually the 1930s and the 1940s, and lasted well into the 80s. These animators oversaw every animated feature and short and continued the program after Walt Disney's death. Many of the nine old men are more familiar than others, but they are all amazing, and I'm going to read all nine of them, so hopefully you won't fall asleep. Les Clark, Eric Larson, Frank Thomas, John Lounsbury, Ward Kimball, Ollie Johnston, Mark Davis, Wolfgang Reitherman, and Milt Call, the nine old men. Each animator has a book dedicated to him in the box set, so there are nine hardback books and a paperback book. Each book is the same dimension as a CD case, just thicker, and they come in a box that weighs about 25 pounds, and I don't know why it's so heavy. These books are tiny, shouldn't weigh that much. 
it's heavier on the inside. Who knew? Ooh. So <laughs> you brought it back. I brought it back. The the paperback book has a brief bio about each artist and a tribute from a modern artist like Andreas Deha, Don Hahn, Eric Goldberg, and some others. Each book is about 100 pages and features a key scene from the animator's career, one that most artists and critics really agree spotlights their talent. And they're called flipbooks and feature the animator's drawings because you flip the animation and you should flip it from the bottom, which is how most Disney animators actually do it. They need a bumper sticker that says, well, we'll work on that later. <laughs> they, they, they really, really are gorgeous works of art. And even slowly flipping back and forth between a few pages, it, it's fascinating to see how the drawings come to life. And that is the real appeal of the set. It is an expensive, expensive book set. It retails for $60, and it's really geared towards the animation fan. If you're a student of animation or a fan uh, or even a collector, then this is a very worthwhile purchase. But as we've seen with many other Disney publications, there's a very limited print run, and we'll see this set probably increase dramatically in value. And I really want to do a shout-out to Gary Hall from the WW Kingdom cast because there are so many photos in this set and very few words. I figured it's perfect for him. Totally perfect for him. Totally perfect. But once again, the, the title is Walt Disney Animation Studios, the Archive Series, Walt Disney's Nine Old Men, The Flip Books. Improv the United Kingdom Pavilion, Paul Moot Disney Trivia! Improv the United Kingdom Pavilion, Paul Moot Disney Trivia! Hey, this is Jeff from Kunikor Weekly. How are you? Who? The, Jeff from Kunikor Weekly. Are you are you in Epcot right now? I, I, I am in Epcot. Your name is Your name is Weekly. No, no my name is Jeff from Kunikor Weekly. Jeff. Yes. Hello. Hi. Would you like to be to play uh, impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion phone booth Disney trivia? Jeff, I, I don't. I don't know
I do know that one. The River of Time. Very good. That's the English translation. I'll give you bonus points if you know the Mexican translation. Oh. Or, or Spanish translation. <laughs> Sorry. That was kind of offensive. Uh, if you don't know oh, it, that's fine. You totally got it right I, anyway. Okay. No, sorry. Okay, that's right. All right, final question. This one's hold a little on, hold, hard. Hold, hold on one second. Hold on. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be right there. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Podcast? Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry Go to ahead. keep you from your family. No. Okay, th last question, last question. This yes. one, this one's a little hard, but you might be able to look around you and actually figure it out. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. How many large torches encircle Epcot's World Showcase Lagoon? Large torches. Oh. Now, <laughs> it's... They had torches during the fireworks show. Yes, exactly, those. How many of those are around the lagoon? Oh, Pete, I, I don't know. Hold on. Let me look. Hold on. Sure, sure. <laughs> None of them are lit. <laughs> the fire. Hello. Yes, yeah, so we're here. We're here. Yes, Jeffrey. The, the None of the torches are lit. I'm. I'll guess five. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. That's not correct. Oh, uh, you were so close, though. The answer was actually 19. You were okay. close, though. You were close, though. But you were a very good sport. Thank you so much for playing. Um, when you go home, be sure to look up Community Core Weekly on online. You won't okay. be sorry. And you, maybe you can hear yourself on the podcast now. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. No, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, my God. We finally got one. <laughs> Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. When we were down at Walt Disney World last November, uh, on a research trip. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Reels. Uh, we got a chance to tour some of the resorts. And while wandering around the conference center at the boardwalk, we happened to notice a nerdy little detail, but probably only because we read a lot. Yeah, so there are these gigantic paintings of great Americans all over the conference center. And one of them was for the very first Miss America that was crowned on the boardwalk, Miss uh, Margaret Gorman. However, if you look closely at her sash that says Miss America, it doesn't actually say Miss America because the word America is spelled wrong. It, <gasps> I know, it's actually missing the letter E right smack in the middle. <laughs> the painting has been hanging there for years since that conference center opened, and nobody has apparently ever noticed this before. So next time you're at the boardwalk, go to the conference center and say hello to Miss Amrica. Well, thanks so much for watching and listening. Be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. And you can always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And you can like us on the Facebooks at facebook.com slash Weekly. Yep. Follow us on Twitter at Imaginerding and at Jeff Heimbuck so you can hear lots of snarky comments. Lots of snark. Always snark. Snarks. More snark on the, on the Twitter than the Facebook. More snark than you can shake a stick at or something. I don't or, know why you're shaking sticks at snark. That's weird. I don't know. That's okay. Well, anyways, I am George. And I'm Jeff. 
Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Overkill.